Well, good evening, LCM. It is an honor and a privilege to get the opportunity to speak with you this evening. We haven't done it like this in a while. It's now been 29 years since I first stood on a stage in an attempt to confront people with the unseen realities that are the certain and presently coming realities upon the world, namely the kingdom of God. You know, I honestly can't say how many times I've done this. It's surely thousands, if not tens of thousands. But tonight is a unique one. With so many opportunities to describe what is truly indescribable, what could possibly make this night unique? Well, it is my 17,155th day on this planet. I am now a 47-year-old man. I wasted the first 18 years of my life. That comprises of roughly 6,570 days of lost opportunities to do something for God. But Adonai in his loving kindness has afforded me over 10,500 days since then. It's my goal to persuade my brothers and sisters that the kingdom is all that really matters. Tonight is unique because it's the first time I've had the opportunity to do this as a 47-year-old man. I don't intend to waste this evening because it may be the night of your awakening to the only reality that genuinely matters. The kingdom of God is enveloping this world. And the time for his servants to complete their service is closing. In fact, it's nearer now than it has ever been at any other time in history. And that in and of itself is a sobering fact. This evening will not be a long service. I have a hot date. There's a sexy grandma on the front row. But I remain hopeful that this will be highly impacting to your lives. Tonight's message is titled, Don't Wait. Romans 13, 11, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You can hear that so often. You can hear that so much that its impact on you is blunted. But it's never been true in history more than it is right now. The first century apostles lived with an urgency, an expectation that has given way to slumber and lethargy in our time. That is unfortunate as it is unwise. Because I've been with many people in their last hours on this planet as it comes to a close. Not one of them ever wished for more money. None of them ever regretted not having a bigger house. I've never seen somebody in their final hours talking about what kind of car they drive or regretting that they didn't get that promotion. I've never seen a dying man that really mostly wants an iPhone. The most common thing that the dying wish for can be summarized in two words. More time. The tragic thing about this truth is that it is really totally avoidable because it is entirely within your power to use all of the time that you have been given and to use it well. And it's a choice to do so. And it's a choice to not do so. The apostles wanted us to understand the present time. It's a gift. It's called the present. 
And all that matters is your distinguished service before our King of Kings. Consider what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. That was 2,000 years ago. Therefore, somebody say therefore. therefore. Be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer. Somebody say offer. offer. I'm not talking about the app, offer up. He's talking to us. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you, how many of you? Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, how many of you have spoken today? If any of you speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, how many things, church? So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power Forever and ever, amen, or so be it. See, you've already been given everything that you need. It's time to get rid of everything that you don't need. Rouse yourselves. Rouse yourselves to the opportunity that stands before you. It's called today. Be alert. You don't know if tomorrow is coming. Sober your minds for action. So that you will be proud in eternity. So that your conduct will leave you no regrets. Every day you have the privilege of using your God-given gifts to serve one another. Every day you have the opportunity to exercise the gift of hospitality. How many days? Every day. Every day you have the favor, freedom, and the right to be a faithful steward over your own life. You have that every day. Every day, you have the benefit of being named an ambassador of God. And you have a mandate from him to speak as one speaking the very words of God. This is a choice. It's a choice that only you can make. Nobody can do that for you. Nobody can spend your time well. It's your choice. It's a choice that only you can make, and it is the only choice that matters in the balance of your life. You will not look back and regret missing your promotion or not spending that special time with a relative. What you will regret is not having spoken as a man who is speaking for God. Church, the apostles called us to a sense of urgency that should displace your fear of making mistakes. I want you to hear that. Time is too short to play it safe, to couch in cowardice. Your time, your time belongs to him. The time for hiding in the shadows of our present responsibilities that don't really matter while standing in the presence of opportunities that really do matter, it's come to a close. Your time of being scared that you will get something wrong and hiding in faithfulness, faithlessness under a pretense of, well, I, I just have other responsibilities. Well, it'll prove to be a poor covering on the day when all men have to give an account to a holy God. When earth and sky flee from his presence, so will our petty excuses. 
No, I say now. Now in this present time is a gift. And we must live a life of seizing the opportunity every day. Don't wait. Say it with me. Don't wait. This message is derived from exactly what I tell the pastors in the One Association. The very few of you that were at my father's funeral, it's exactly what I said to him before he died. It's exactly what I said to the people that were at the funeral that wanted to fight. The message that we preach has to be worth dying for. Consider how Paul encouraged us in this manner. Ephesians 2.6 And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to who? In his kindness to who? In Christ Jesus. Now, you have been taught that grace is power over sin, and it is. But the manner in which the apostle is speaking about it in these verses is presented more as a gift. You have been given an incomparably rich gift expressed in his kindness to you. You're seated on a throne that is the agency of Christ. And you are in his employ And work for him. Are you in full-time Christian ministry? There's no other kind. He is already saving your soul daily. He is already empowering you daily. He is already forgiving and purifying you on a daily basis. He has already promised you eternal glory in a body that will never die. So what do you owe him for that wage that he has already forwarded you? What is your daily responsibility in response to this kind of grace gift? Well, church, don't wait. You're already behind the proverbial curve. Your indebtedness demands of you daily perseverance and action despite your perceived level of obstacles. Verse 8 is instructive. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It was a gift and an empowerment over sin that put you in the service of God in the first place. That gift is only applied in your faith as you trust his continual empowerment and his continual ability within you. The only way that you can show this kind of faith is as you work in his service continually, persevering daily, right up until your last hours. Don't wait. You don't have the time to waste. If you understood the holiness of God, if you understood your level of indebtedness, you would not believe that one minute of one hour of one day is your own because you would be dead already were it not for him. You didn't work to have the awesome privilege of being in his service. No, you work daily because of the awesome privilege of being in his service. And it is an awesome privilege. Verse 9 says, not by works so that no one can boast. If we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I already told you that I wasted the first 6,570 days of my existence on this planet. I don't intend to waste another one. But I was credited. I was actually created all over again in Christ. Even though I squandered those days. 
And I've been given 10,585 days since then. And every single one of them is a gift. And not one of them was I owed it. How many have you been given? How many have gone by without seizing the opportunity to use what you have been given to advance God's purposes on the earth? Do you realize that verse 10 says your creation in Christ was for his work? That's what it's for. Do you realize that this work was prepared by God for you in advance of your salvation? When he saved you, he already had the works prepared for you. How many more times can we shrink back from this high calling? Excuses are not pertinent to our discussion tonight. I'm scared to be corrected. I needed to put my kids in bed. I just haven't felt well lately. I've been a little short on funds. Well, my family was in town. My favorite show was on television. You know, I don't have a good memory. I didn't know what to say. I don't know what to do and the like. You've been reminded of a mandate that was in existence on the day that you were born again. It was already there. At the New Year's bonfire, you were told to set the table of his presence in your house and invite others into it. Don't wait. Come on, somebody, don't wait. I understand that you want to do the work of the kingdom. Somebody say, I want to. I understand that you want to do the work of the kingdom and that you think you just don't know what to do. This is exactly the kind of excuse mongering and sinful thinking that has to die. It has to be crucified. People who find refuge in those statements are not being honest about their own spiritual lives. And those excuses will not be impressive in the light of eternity. Consider Luke 18, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them. Why did he tell them? To show them that they should always pray and not give up. This parable was so important to Luke that he told you its purpose in advance of the actual content of the parable. If you feel like you don't know what to do, you need to come to grips with the fact that you don't have much of a prayer life. You need to come to grips with the fact that you're hiding in inaction to avoid the faith necessary to take action. You need to come to grips with the real issue of faithlessness regarding your role in the service of Jesus Christ. Wow, it got quiet in here. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that it's just not that important to him? Or is it just not that important to you? The man or woman who prays persistently will always find the daily bread of accomplishing task in the service of God. Amen. I want to say that for you again. It's an important note. Because the grumblers are not the prayers in this church. The man or woman who prays persistently will always find the daily bread of accomplishing task in the service of God. Well, I'm just not sure what my purpose is. Then you don't pray enough. Well, I just don't feel useful. Then you don't pray enough. Well, I just don't know if I have a place here. Then you don't pray enough. Matthew 6, 11 tells us to pray. Give us today our daily bread. Is that the Lord's prayer or not? And John 4, 34 teaches us that food is to do the will of him who sent us and to finish his work. 
So what is daily bread actually then? It's knowing your task each day. That's what daily bread really is. It's not possible to persevere in prayer and not know what you should do. Prayerless Christians are the actionless Christians. But the praying Christian is full of both power and knowledge that it takes to do his will on earth. Besides, we've already told you where to start. Set a table in his presence within your own home. And the glory of God will fill the table. Amen. Pastors Nick and Wade preached the best message of their lives on Sunday. It was titled, Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing. They rehashed all of our directives, displaying nuanced layers of revelation in the most popular psalm in the world. They did this so that you would know what to do. I would say that they did everything except dance for you. But they did that too. I both admired it and was a little disturbed by it. I would hope that you were entertained by their message. Were you entertained? I would hope rather that you would have been inspired by it. Don't wait. You don't have the time to lose. Your life is a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. And all that matters is the faith that you display through the course of your daily actions. The word faith. The word faithful. Faith or faithful together appears ten times in the book of Revelation. You examine them on your own time. It only refers to people that are taking action regarding the will of God on earth. Not one time in the book of Revelation can it be construed to refer to somebody who is crippled in inaction and making excuses for it. Don't wait. You were chosen. You are being called to action. And it's up to you whether or not you will be found faithful. In verse 2 of Luke 18. He said in a certain town there was a judge. Who neither feared God. Nor cared what people thought. Some translation says care about people. This is ironic if it's not humorous. What a way to start a parable. Judges are supposed to fear God. And they're supposed to care for people. Here shortly we'll get a new Supreme Court nominee and we'll get to see these things probably violated. Our God is the definition of holiness. And everything he does displays his care, his chesed for people. That really is the point. If what Jesus is about to say is true of this judge, how much more is it true of the true judge of all mankind? Verse 3, And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Who cry out to him weekly. Who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? Since you were chosen by God on the day that he empowered you with his mighty spirit of holiness. 
If you cry out to him day and night, how could you ever say that he doesn't give you his directions for just actions on the earth? Prayerful Christians are moved by the Spirit of God into a partnership with God to accomplish his will on the earth. They don't have to wait to be told to do it from some man. They don't have to find it socially acceptable. They have partnered with the divine. They know his will and cannot be stopped from doing it. But I was just insecure. We'll crucify that. Don't wait. This has to become your habitual practice. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? That's a great question. You have the privilege, the power, and the prerogative to answer that question through your daily activities. This is the only way that genuine biblical faith is ever displayed. Your daily actions function as a mirror. They give you insight into the level of genuine faith that you do or do not possess. Well, I can hear the crickets in the back. Your activities on a daily basis show exactly what you believe. Exactly what you prioritize. Let's read a brass-knuckled passage about the practical application of biblical faith in your daily life. Brass knuckles are now legal in Texas. They've always been legal behind this particular pulpit. <laughs> Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. Hate. Oh, there's a word Christians don't like to use. Hate. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Church, stir up your hatred for the things that are evil and you will know what to do. Church, stir up your clinging to what is good and you will know what to do. Cultivate a genuine and sincere love for others and you will never be without direction again. Verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Pray for ways to show devotion to your brothers. And then you will know what to do in any given day. Pray for ways to honor your brothers above yourselves. And then you will know what to do on a daily basis. 13 is a punch straight to the mouth. Never. Somebody say never. never. Some of you that are already lethargic need to say it again. Never. Never, never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Ah. Now we're getting somewhere. Stirring up a genuine zeal. I'm talking about a red hot spiritual fervor for serving the Lord. And you will never be crippled by inaction or excuse mongering again. Ask me how I know. You'll actually find a stage set for you everywhere you go and you will delight in setting the table of his presence within your own home for others to feast on. Man, you should circle verse 13 because you think you know it. But then again, you have to answer the other side of that particular problem. If you do know it, then why do you struggle with the things that we're talking about? Verse 12. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. See, your joy 
will overflow because you'll be operating in the design and the intent of the one who created you. You will not grow weary when affliction comes because you have become the answer for the dying world's problems all around you. Do you see the last imperative in verse 13? Faithful in prayer. The Christian that is faithful in prayer is always full of the knowledge and power to perform God's will on earth in their own daily lives. Look at 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice. 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 Finally, one thing my coach told me is true. Practice does make perfect. Practice hospitality. Could it really be this simple? Yes. The church of the first century spread throughout the known world by taking these very words seriously. And they faced more opposition and had less opportunity than us. Could it really be this simple? Yes. Share what you have to give. Materially, of course. But you ought to have something to give spiritually. You ought to have a revelation from the daily bread that God gives you. Invite others into your home that you have made enticing and alluring and hospitable. And I promise you, Adonai will do all of the rest. Jennifer and I have been doing this since 1993. And everything that you've become fond of and, and value at LCM and within the One Association, it came into being through this manner and method. Nick Slaughter, Justin Johnson, Zeke Lamb, Mike Hutchinson, Brent Vincent, Buddy Brasso, Judah Stevens, Peyton Parsons, Nick Aragina, Matthew Pirro, and Wade Sutherland were all equipped for ministry in exactly this fashion. I love all of those men. You know that I do. They are great men of God. But your Bible is every bit as big as theirs is. You're pastored better than they were. You have better foundational teachings available to you than they did. You have better access to libraries of material than they ever had. You're surrounded by more brothers to help you than they were. You have more structure supporting your efforts than any of us ever had. You have everything that you need. You just have to stir up some spiritual fervor. Amen. Don't wait. We're accountable for every day that has been given to us. And there is no time to waste. I would love to reflect on how this relates to Daniel and our teaching on a Tuesday night. But I have a hot date tonight. And I already told you that this message would be short. So let's turn to the book of Nehemiah and look at a few action items that we must take seriously and on a daily basis begin to put into action. While you're turning to Nehemiah 8, I want to say to you that you are my family. And the most cherished of all of my relationships. Our Father intends for us to be vital segments together in a series and a process defined in the Word of God that must remain unbroken in every generation that follows us. And this is our time. Our lives, and I mean every life in this room. Everybody from Marlon's mother in the back, to Andreas on the left, to Chris on the right. Every life in this room must become a model to be emulated 
and improved on by the disciples that will take this way of life to the nations in proclamation of the gospel that is the kingdom. As you hear Nehemiah speaking about his friend Ezra in chapter 8, I believe you will hear how we are going to do this. Do you want to know? Nehemiah 8 in verse 4. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadaniah, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Shockingly, the names are not the most difficult part of this verse. Ezra's life was on display as a model. And he stood in the midst of a team. You, dear Christian, are a teacher of the law. And you have been given a stage to stand on. Say, wait a minute, we're sitting in our seats. I'm talking about the table that is set within your home. It is a stage built for that occasion. Besides, you stand with the brothers in this room and throughout the one association. You not only have a stage in your home, you have a brotherhood surrounding you. Ezra opened the book. (laughs) What did Ezra do? All of the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. There's an awful lot more going on in this verse than you might have imagined. Remember, Ezra is on a stage that we're asking you to understand relates to the table of the presence that you will set in your own home. It was built for the occasion that we're talking about. Just like you setting a table for the occasion of bringing somebody into the presence of God that you cultivate. Turns out that Ezra performed four key actions as described by his friend Nehemiah. Could we have that slide? The first one. Ezra started everything by personally opening the book. Christian, if days are going by and you are not personally opening the book, asking God for your daily bread that is the next task, the next activity, the next thing that you can accomplish for him, you are already wasting more days than you may have left. It all starts with opening the book. Not opening Spurgeon's devotion. Not opening the latest LCM message. Not opening the arising church message as good as they are. You, personally, engaging in a real way with your creator and his word that impacts your life. Say, well, those men are all preaching about the word. Yes, they're preaching the word that God gave them. What about the one he gives you? Well, we'll just reflect what you said. But it means nothing to you because you didn't fight for it. I do want you to reflect the things that you hear from these pulpits. But I want you to add to them the things that God has given you because you actually stand in agreement with them. Not because you've become a cute Christian parrot. That actually defames the rest of us. Church, we'll get a new generation moving together. Because we're going to set a table. And we're going to start by personally opening the book. Everything worth doing in life flows out of and with the word of God. You have to start by personally opening the book so that you have actual heavenly bread to share with others. You must not become recipients only. 
gorging yourselves on what was served by others. Like Matthew 13, 52 says, you're owners of a house. Who owns the, house, the table in your house? I hope you didn't come and get the table out of my house. I hope the table sitting in your kitchen and the coffee table in your living room belongs to you. You're owners of a house who bring out of your, your, your storerooms new treasures as well as old. I've been very happy to throw you crumbs here and there, but I could never feed you in the way that your father will feed you if you seek him. And to be honest, I get a little sick of watching you stand on my shoulders and parrot my phrases, and you don't know what they mean. Where everything starts is your personal interaction with the Word. I'm going to guess that the same number of people in here who have a pitiful prayer life have a pitiful searching of the word life. But you're in such a scripture-rich environment, why would you ever need to? Everyone else is doing it for you. I go to church to get fed. I thought you were the church. I just love a good sermon. Good, learn to give one. Well, nobody's given me the opportunity, probably because they've never seen life-giving bread come out of your mouth. Because I assure you that when we do, we all want to hear it. This is where everything starts. This is step one for a reason. Your personal study is everything. The Word tells us to have something to share with others who are in need. See, it's shocking that what God gives you for your comfort in your personal study will be what someone else needs as well. It's shocking that when you speak, you can speak like one speaking the very words of God because you're repeating the words he gave to you personally. How many of you want to start by opening the book? There is no other way. Just like you will never have a successful marriage without mastering week one they're step one for a reason you can spend a decade trying to figure that out or you could trust me and just try let's move to the second thing that Ezra did Ezra performed four key actions as described by his friend Nehemiah the first is Ezra started by personally opening the book the second is Ezra stood in a unique way All the people that you bring into your home will see you stand in a unique way if you do this right. The phrase in your Bible that says he was standing above them, that translation is accurate in that it is literal, but it conveys totally the wrong concept. I want to show you what those words are. This is May all. It's two Strong's numbers you see on the left side of your screen. The first part of that phrase means from, out of, among, more than. It means out of something. The second part of the phrase meaning upon, over, against, by, to, or for. The unique way that we are to stand is not so much above the people, but may all. Meaning that we stand from, out of, among, more than, and upon, and over, and by, and to, and for our brothers. That's why they're at the table with you. Not because you're above them, but because you're among them. And they see hope in what God is doing in you. We never attempt to stand above people. We stand among them. We stand for them. 
Review Matthew 20 and you will find out that we do not lord authority over people. To become great in the kingdom, we serve our brothers. I assure you that Nehemiah was not above his brothers. He was among his brothers. But he stood in a way that was more than his brothers. Which is why he had the proverbial mic that day. Are you following me so far? You'll need these things to follow us where we're going. The next thing, Ezra performed four key actions. The first was Ezra started by personally opening the book. The second is Ezra stood in a unique way. Not above, but among and for and more than the people. The third is Ezra spoke in a way that opened the spiritual realm to others. As we start personally by opening the book, and then we stand among and for our brothers. Something truly amazing and supernatural begins to happen. When the Bible says, as he opened it. Speaking is already implied. I want to show you why. Look at this next slide. Palak, to open. Good, thank you. That's what it says. Although the basic meaning of patak is to open, the word is extended to mean to cause to flow, to solve as in a riddle, to make free. My friends, when Ezra spoke, and when you speak about the things that the Lord showed you in your personal time, as you set the table and you begin to stand on that stage and speak, Adonai will cause to flow. He will solve the riddle. And he will free the people that are at your table. Ask me how I know. This is not the domain of trained professionals. But of sincere believers who are searching the word on a personal level every day. Do you remember Stephen? Stephen was a deacon in the early church. He was responsible for handing out bread. Acts 6.10 says, But they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Do you know why? He was going beyond simply parroting a teaching. He was transferring the impact of what had impacted his soul on others. Don't get me wrong. I'm not upset that you reflect on our messages. You're supposed to. I'm upset if you have nothing to add to them. I'm not upset that you're scared. I'm upset that you stay that way. And do not form a daily habit of exercising God's will on earth. Because inevitably the same thing will always happen. You will eventually blame us and leave. I'm not scared. I don't fear loss. As has been noted many times, I invite you to leave all of the time. But you know what I would much rather have? You stand and do exactly what we're doing. What an awesome privilege. We don't want you to just sit and throw money in a plate. We don't want you to attend so that we can say how many butts we have in seats. We want your home to become a ministry in and of itself. Amen. We want your home to become an oasis for thirsty souls. We believe that the God of heaven will speak to you as he speaks to us. We believe that you have the same power flowing through you that I know we have flowing through us. When you open your home for personal revelation... And you take your stand with and for the people. Adonai will cause you to flow. He will cause you to solve riddles. He will cause you to be his freeing agent in the lives of others. Church, I'm telling you the fulcrum on which we will shake this world off of its axis. And it's you. And it's your home. Amen. If it could be done from pulpits, it would have already been done. 
If some fat orator in a white suit preaching on TV could do it, it would have been done. They've been doing it for a long time. You know where the breakdown always is? The home. And our God has given us a directive. And I'm taking it seriously. If we could go to our next slide. Ezra performed four key actions as described by his friend Nehemiah. Ezra started by personally opening the book. Ezra stood in a unique way among, with, by, and for the people. Ezra spoke in a way that opened the spiritual realm to others. And the fourth one is the logical sum of the first three. Ezra inspired those around him in similar fashion. See, I think that there's many people in this world that will hate me, but they'll love you. And there are some that might dislike you that love me. That's why God didn't invest all of this in a single family. He didn't invest it in a singular pastor. He made us each unique and diverse because when you engage his word, when you take your stand on his word, when you do it by and with and for your brothers while standing among them, then he enables you to speak in a way that opens up truths that were locked for generations. And this inspires people around you that they can do this too. And that really is the whole point. It's not that we would elect a few great champions to do the work for us. But that every man in the room, every woman in the room would rise to the high calling of Christ, burning with spiritual fervor to set lives free. And as each man becomes free, they want to be what you are. The actions of Ezra and your actions inspire the people to stand up for themselves. Not to just hold on to your shoulders and ride. To stand up for themselves. I'd like to show you what that word is. It's our next slide. It says in your Bible they all stood. In Hebrew the word can be, make, be taken to say take one's stand. Church is it time that you take your stand. Rise up. The whole world is waiting for men and women like you to start by opening the book to get a personal revelation. The whole world is waiting for men and women like you to stand in and on the revelation that you've received. The whole world is waiting for men and women like you to speak openly and transparently so that Adonai can bless it and cause his spirit to flow, solving riddles and freeing your friends. When you do those three things, I promise you, not only will your table expand, those doing it with you will be inspired to do the same thing. Verse 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, not just amen, but amen, amen. They bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Church, what you initiate in your own praise, in your own revelation, in your own prayer time towards the great God of heaven the people will respond to and magnify by lifting their hands in full agreement. By showing full submission and full hu humility towards our God. They will see what you do and learn from it. Verse 7. The Levites. Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Masaiah. Kilita, Azariah, Jehozabad, Hanan, and Peliah. It's quite a list. They instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. 
Do you see how what started with Ezra is now a whole group of Levites? The model that you set in your home will be followed by another generation of leaders, just like these Levites. And their model will be followed by those coming after them. That's how this gets unbroken through the generations. And it's entirely up to you. Verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning. It sounds like they opened it up. Sounds like God caused it to flow, solve the riddles, and help people be free. This is not Ezra. This is the other brothers. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood from what was being read. Church, what you do today will be followed by leaders after you who will continue this practice, making it clear and giving the meaning. That means that they'll not only have your understanding, but what they pass on to the next generation will be magnified and to the one after that, magnified more so. Do you have a part to play in God's plan? Or are you the one person on earth that he created just because he wanted you to be happy and comfortable? I want to put those four things back on the screen. And I'm going to truncate this message. I feel as if we're hitting the point that we need to. So 75 more scriptures won't help those of you that are still not hearing me. I'll just preach to the ones that are. While you're staring at those four things, started, stood, spoke, and inspired, you could blow it off if you want to. Of course, you'll get what you've always gotten. I'm going to prophesy to those of you that have spiritual fervor. Those of you that want to cultivate and fan into flame a fire that contends with hell. The Lord himself will use the table that you set as a stage for you to stand with, among, and for his people. You are to stand on that stage that is the table in your home with a team of brothers that he himself will provide you. Your opening of the book will cause revelation to flow, riddles to be solved, and result in greater freedom for you personally as well as them. Since you speak about this process in full view of your brothers and all of the people, they will learn to do it, and they will take their own stand. This way of life that you are participating in will continue to inspire leaders who are with you and people coming after both you and them. That's not so much a preaching statement as it is the prophetic goal of all that we are doing this year. And I'll give you a hint we want to do it with every one of you. Church, it all starts by personally opening the book. Eric, how do you study? Eric, how did you find that? Eric, how do you know this? Eric, what resources do you have? Well, friends, studying starts by opening your Bible. What book can I find that in? It's the best-selling book of all time. Yes, but what else are you reading? I'll tell you when you've completed your Bible. Everything hinges upon your personal study. Everything. It all starts by personally opening the book and then taking your stand on what he reveals to you. Start with the book and then you stand on what he shows you. How's an 18-year-old kid that was brawling in parking lots and dropped out of college end up spending his life doing what I'm doing? I opened the book and it changed me. And I've taken my stand on what it says. 
Now people from nations are here. You have a table and a stage in your own home. We're trying to empower you to do it. It starts by personally opening the book, then by taking your stand on what is revealed, then speaking about the process and trusting that it will inspire others, not because of its perfection, but because of the struggle with which you had to go after it. Let me show you what the Lord showed me. I'm very great, and you should think I'm great too. There's enough of that kind of preaching. How about you're honest with them? How about you say two weeks ago I got in trouble with church leadership because my attitude was satanic. But you know what? God showed me in his word and I pray it blesses you. How about you say I've been apathetic and lethargic for a decade in this church. And seeing your life, my friend, at this table is fanning me into flame. How about you say I lost control of my own home because I was a coward. But God showed me right here in his word. And it will bless them too. I heard somewhere. That when we are weak is when he is strong. That his power flows through us in those scenarios. Starts by opening the book. Then you take your stand on what he has said. And then you speak in an honest and transparent way about the whole process. And you know what it does? It inspires those that are around you. And those that it doesn't inspire are not fit for the kingdom of God. It's pearls before piglets. There won't be any pork in eternity. I intend for every day to be used, starting by opening the book, taking my stand on what it says, speaking about what he shows me, how he corrects me, how he empowers me beyond my own weakness. And I know what it does. Ask me how I know. Why are you here? I said, well, I just love one of those other pastors. I get it. I love them more than me, too. But why are they here? Church, don't wait. This starts here. And it starts right now. And if you didn't hear that, then Numbers, Judges, Daniel, Thessalonians, and every other passage that I'd planned to share you, it wouldn't matter anyway. We're going to go old school here. You can all run to the altar and... I don't fault you for it. I don't know what to do sometimes, and I run to the altar. But I'd rather that it were specific. I'd rather that when you approach an altar, you already knew what needed to be sacrificed. I'd rather that it wasn't just because everybody else in the room ran to the altar. God, if every one of you that came to this altar every week were actually doing something for God, then it would be incredible, but it's just not true. Some of you are so content to wrap excuses around yourself. You're insecure. You're scared. You don't know what to say. You don't have a good memory. How do my poor, illiterate brothers do it in India that are raising the dead? How do the children in Africa that I meet with do it? How about the gypsies in the slums in Romania? How do they do it? Well, I just don't want to get something wrong. Well, put your big boy pants on and be willing to make a mistake for the glory of God. God has given you a stage. And it is the table you set in your own home. And if you do it fervently, long enough, if you persist in it, because all hell will try to stop you. You will find that you are not alone in doing it. And we've given you a starter group already that you did not create. When we open this altar, do not leave your seat unless you are determined that you know what must change. And you are there to ask God to help you kill it 
so that when you stand up, you can experience the labor of God's presence and be a new creation. And let me tell you, you casual church attenders here, I mean, you come regularly enough for me to know your name. If you think that you're exempt from this message, God does not exempt you. Your life is not about your job. It's not about your family obligations. Your life is not about your house or your income. You live for one reason. Because God has permitted it because he has something for you to do. Don't wait. If you don't like being put on the spot, you are really not going to like it before all of the angels. This could be, this will be, the moment where as a church body, we move forward in a new way. No longer content for there to be a giant gap between you and those leading. Those leading will be among you. From you. For you. Not above you. But you can't ask us to slow down so that you can catch up. You need to ask God to empower you. Father, I'm asking here and now that your mighty spirit, your precious power from on high, would move on the hearts and minds in this room. Lord, that this would be the day that pushes us off of high center, that we might actually progress towards your will. Lord, we badly want to have a life that means something in your presence. We want to affect the globe for you. Lord, cure the feelings of insignificance in this room. Cure the feelings in this room that are faithless and say they can't. Lord, help them as they begin to stir the waters of their own hearts. Help them come to grips with the death of themselves that they might live to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.